Welcome back to episode number 174 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are talking about designing and installing dust collection systems for greenfield applications. And we're doing that with Tristan Trepka, Vice President of Engineering at IAC, based at Mission, Kansas. Tristan, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, great to be with you, Chris. I'm excited to have Tristan on. In the past on the podcast, we've covered a lot about retrofitting dust collection systems, smaller systems, explosion protection, fire protection, fire prevention, a lot of topics around existing applications. And I thought it might be interesting to have something that covers these you know, newer systems, new build, uh, very large dust collectors. And that's really in Tristan's background and expertise with IAC. So he's a good one to have on to talk about this. We're going to discuss what stage of the facility development a company should be designing a dust collection system, what sort of steps are required, are there any special considerations for really large systems, um, common challenges as we move from design to build installation, and anything that companies should keep in mind for future modifications of their systems. What should they do at the start to set them up for success in the future? Tristan, maybe a good place to kind of jump in is just what, what is your background and your current role with IEC? Well, Chris, as you mentioned, I'm, my title is the Vice President of Engineering um, for IAC, and my role is to supervise uh, not only our um, design engineers um, here in Mission, Kansas, but also our project managers that direct our projects you know, all across the country and abroad. We've got a team of about 55 engineers here in Kansas City spread across uh, mechanical, electrical, structural controls and automation uh, disciplines. And then we've got about uh, 15 project managers here on staff that you know, coordinate the uh, details for each and every one of our projects from um, you know, flange to flange, air equipment sales, all the way through the large uh, EPC or engineer procure construct projects that we execute. Yeah, we, we had IAC join Dust Aid Professionals um, a few months ago as a member company. And that was one of the really the things that I was excited about bringing them in is the the requests on these very large systems, you know, right from the start of designing a system and understanding how it should operate through to actually, you know, doing the engineering, doing the installation, doing the installation. It's nice to have a company that can kind of provide that whole life cycle approach. And, and then I thought this would be an interesting discussion on the podcast to follow on from that. I guess let's start at the start. What stage in the development of a new facility should companies be looking at their dust collection system and design considerations there? Yeah, I'd say, you know, as early as possible, um, depending on the industry, the dust collection needs are part and parcel to the project itself or the process itself. Um, many of the industries that we're in, um, they have what you would call a process bag house where that bag house services you know, every cubic foot of flue gas or every ton of material in some cases that's produced at the plant will flow through a bag house. And so those process bag houses are really integral to the process that that particular facility is being built for, you know, to execute. So um, day one uh, for those types of applications, but even on the nuisance side, you know, which would be your your more, you know, plain Jane dust collection that a lot of people think of. Um, it's it's great to get in on the front end. Um, I often works with our clients from the inception of a project. You know, once they've 
selected a piece of land. And in some cases, the land hasn't even been selected, but they know what state um, they're going to build this particular facility in. So ISC can work with clients to, to size the appropriate process and nuisance collectors that will be required and then work with that, the client to get the permitting data uh, packaged up, you know, how much CFM are you going to be emitting and um, in what areas of the plant, how tall um, the stacks are going to need to be, what diameter the stacks are going to need to be. And we work with the permitting consultants to help get that um, pushed through all the different governmental agencies that review those items. Yeah, that makes sense. And we sort of have the two categories here, process bag hosts and sort of your nuisance systems. Would those be the two main categories? Or are there other sort of, you know, dust collection or, or bagos type systems that, that people might be looking at as well? Um, th- those are the two main categories. There's some subsets, you know, inside of each of those. I kind of mentioned on the process side, some are dealing with the flue gas off of a, a boiler or a furnace or a, a, a heavy piece of equipment, you know, integral to the process. And then there's the others, um, that I mentioned where the product may flow through the bag house itself. And that would be something like in a milling system or a, a uh, in this industry, they'll use single pass separators um, that basically recirculate um, the cement as it's being ground down and, and send the larger material back to the mill. And the finer material would be carried away through centrifugal forces to the bag house. And then it's that process this bag house's job to separate that material back out of the exhaust gas stream and collect it and, you know, send it off for storage or a dispatch elsewhere. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's good to get sort of that clarification of what the different options are. You convinced me we should do it as early as possible. So that's good. I probably wasn't that hard of a sell. <laughs> what then are the steps to designing and implementing an effective system? Maybe even where do some of the people trip up in, in that whole process? Um, I would say, a frequent one is not getting um, a company like IAC or a uh, you know dust control expert involved early enough, especially on the larger side of some of the EPC projects we talked about. You know, a baghouse may be the single largest piece of equipment on a given uh, facility's property. So the space planning and the arrangement of the exhaust stack and the ductwork into that baghouse. Um, could play a pretty significant role in how uh, different areas of the process are arranged physically. Um, so getting someone like IAC involved on the front end can alleviate backing yourself into a corner where you have to make some concessions in terms of uh, packaging or, or maybe maintenance access or a little bit of efficiency uh, loss due to uh, you know some of the bottlenecks you may unknowingly be creating by not providing enough footprint for the equipment to go in. Yeah, it makes sense. I think the same thing kind of dovetails into fire and, and explosion safety concerns as well, where the earlier you can evaluate those in the process, the less likely you're going to end up with a, you put it really well, what'd you say? You said compromise. <laughs> you, you're less likely to put your situation where you have to compromise something to gain something else. If it's really done early in the the site planning phase, early in the equipment layout phase, um, there may be some efficiencies that you get out of doing that as well, that you're going to have a harder time getting in there once the equipment's purchased, um, installed, and, and then you found out that you ran out of room. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and working in a lot of these uh, different industries we're in and the associated uh, processes that they're, they're working um, with, you know, the, the dust collection is very rarely the glamorous piece of equipment, you know, the showpiece of the, the facility. So just getting in and having that seat at the table where you get to say your piece, you know, next to maybe the furnace provider or, or some other type of milling equipment really helps. It makes a lot of sense. Like you said, it, it may end up being the largest piece of equipment. I'm not sure about expense wise. It's going to be the most expensive or, or not. It'll depend, I guess. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that were the case in, you know, a few specific industries. I, I know um, we did a uh, project in the steel industry over the past few years where IAC was really the first contractor on site to begin constructing um, two very large, um, they happen to be reverse air style bag houses um, for this new steel plant in Texas. And we were one of the first uh, contractors on site to break ground and pour our own foundations to get that process moving just because there were so many uh, man hours required in assembling um, these very large bag houses. They each uh, filtered uh, 1.65 million CFM uh, for a total of 3.3 million um, sitting next to one another. The, uh, these are some of the larger bag houses IAC's ever done, um, but physically uh, they're about uh, 240 feet long, 80 foot wide, each one of them, um, you know, with about a 30 foot, 35 foot distance between the two. So you're, you're looking at about a, a 250 foot square plus the, you know, the very large uh, 22 foot diameter ductwork coming in and 26 foot diameter uh, fan stacks coming out. So you can imagine the the size of this thing is many football fields uh, put together. Like you kind of said at the outset, it's not just the design, but it's, it's at, at that stage, you're dealing with all the equipment, all the components, all the duct work coming to site, managing it there, managing the, the project of the installation, managing permitting, uh, managing, I'm sure, environmental proposals and, and all of that stuff, which is, I, I guess that's, would would I be right in saying that's kind of some of the bread and butter of the work that IASA would, would do is, is managing all those different parts of the process? Absolutely. We we try to be a turnkey provider to our customers. You know, they, they come to us with a a problem or an opportunity and we will do anything and everything as much as the client's willing um, to contract us to do in terms of uh, supporting and designing and facilitating the design and, and permitting aspect through to the, uh, you know, detail engineering and uh, fabrication, installation, um, and commissioning portions of that. We'd really like to package it up. Those are uh, kind of the sweet spot of projects for us. But oftentimes we're working, you know, as part of a larger team, you know, with maybe a different uh, general contractor that's been tasked with uh, procuring the collection equipment, or sometimes there's an owner's engineer who's handling uh, much of the front end work. And we, we do work with those uh, owner's engineers on the front end to uh, do many of the same things we've already discussed in terms of space planning and sizing and making sure that we're providing you know, the best, most environmentally friendly system we can. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, you mentioned already a large system, but are there any sort of, you know, any differences in designing and implementing 
yeah, designing them, implementing base when you get to these really large systems, are there special considerations that are needed there? I'm just, I'm not very familiar with, I've seen large facilities, but I'm not really that familiar with the early stage designing of them. I would say probably one of the biggest uh, constraints or considerations that we need to think about when we're starting a design on the front end or something of that scale is just the logistics involved. On several of these larger projects, we, we've spent months determining, okay, so we have this bag house that we know is going to be 240 feet long by 80 foot wide by, uh, you know, another 65 foot tall. How do we manufacture and get that to the site? You know, where is the site located? Is there, is there track accessibility? Um, is there, um, you know, special road considerations? Is there some kind of small bridge or constraint to get into the site? Are they on a river? Can you barge in materials? Typically, I mean, barging and rail are kind of best case scenarios because the uh, size that you're able to transport is much greater. So we're able to do more of the work in a controlled uh, fabrication facility in a controlled environment, as opposed to out in the field where we're usually paying our crews to travel in and live on the road, you know, in hotel rooms. And that adds expanse and complexity and, and a layer of, uh, you lose a layer of control, you know, being in the outdoors working as opposed to inside a fabrication facility. So the larger the piece we're able to ship in, generally the better. We've done projects where we've shipped in, you know, 20 foot wide pieces on rail. Uh, we're working on a project right now where we're installing a fan stack that's 28 foot diameter. And we've found a, a we've partnered with a fabrication facility that's on the river in Mississippi. And the end user is in Kentucky, also on the river. So we're able to barge in those, you know, full 28 foot diameter pieces that, uh, you know, 360 degree circumference, fully shop welded, 60 foot long in one piece. And we're able to erect this stack in, in three pieces, as opposed to having to build it out of, you know, rolled panels and field weld it together. Sounds faster. I guess that, that's my naive uh, guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Fast, faster, more controlled, less expensive because you're able to do more of that fabrication work in a, a local you know, local to wherever it's being fabricated, the welders and fabricators that are working on that are able to sleep in their own bed every night and just have that control with the facility. But in, in general, uh, logistics is probably the largest hurdle we run into on the, these um, you know, massive baghouses, just because the scale is so enormous that over-the-road shipments of you know, legal width, um, eight or eight and a half feet, wide doesn't get you very far when you're building something of this magnitude. We talked a bit about design considerations, some logistics, some of the transport. What challenges would companies typically run into during the, the building installation phase of the project? Typical challenge, I mean, the aforementioned uh, working outside, you know, the unknown inclement weather, you know, we've faced uh, many a rain delay, but we've, we've faced hurricanes and, and flooding um, near our job sites, extreme cold, and uh, some of the work we've done in the northern U.S. and Canada, they all lead to, you know, lost productivity and inefficiency um, to main, maintain that safe environment for the, the men and women that are there. 
but that that's another uh, consideration on many of these projects. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we sort of talked through quite a bit of the design, the installation, the challenges that come up for really large systems. Didn't mean to interrupt, but one more on the installation. A big challenge is just the logistics of getting the right pieces to the site when you need them, but not inundating the site with, you know, shipping in thousands of tons of steel that they need to create a, a warehousing and lay down system to track and manage. That's one thing that our project management group uh, does very well working with our uh, production control and our fabrication facilities is building projects with that just in time type delivery. So if there's any critical pieces coming in, we're able to uh, deliver them and ideally they'll be uh, picked directly from the truck that's delivering it and set into position. Yep. Makes sense. And and maybe something you wouldn't think about uh, if you're not, you know, experienced and, and thinking about this beforehand, if you're just trying to set things up as you get closer to, to actually building different parts of the facility, kind of in that vein, anything that a company should keep in mind about future use of the system, thing, you know, expansion or new product lines or, or whatever kind of comes up down the tracks where they say, oh, shoot, I wish we had a, done this in order to, to make that easier. What kind of things come across your plate when you're, when you're doing that type of work? A lot of it, uh, I, I guess, considerations that we've already discussed, you know, in terms of space planning and not shoehorning your, in yourself into a, a postage stamp size area in a given facility. Um, but having a better and, and quicker maintenance access, I think, is one area that I could see um, customers kind of future-proofing themselves. You know, chances are if your maintenance staff, once they're hired, they're going to have a long list of items that they're looking at every day. And if they've got, say, a list of 100 items and 95 of them are, are easy to get to, easy to access on their daily uh, routes walking the plant, those are going to get looked at much more often than, you know, the lone bin vent on top of the 180 foot tall silo that you have to climb a ladder to get to. I can assure you that it's not going to get much physical attention. So, you know, and then those types of applications, sometimes you can't, you can't control it. I mean, that that's just where the benefits got to be. Um, if you're not able to uh, put in a staircase or, or elevator system to get there to make it easier, if that's not um, physically or economically feasible, um, we do offer some uh, enhanced and kind of AI learning uh, remote monitoring uh, capabilities that uh, can bring all of the signals from that particular piece of equipment down to a central location, even put it on, on a phone app um, that the maintenance guys could monitor um, the operations of that vent, you know, and far off land without physically having to go touch it and feel it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we're hoping to get Joe from the IACTM on at some point to talk about smart dust collection systems and, you know, what variables and parameters plants might be interested in monitoring and also how to make their operations more efficient, more cost effective and safer. And that's something that, uh, that I'll have to track him down for, for a nice interview on as well. Yeah, Joe Haney would be a, a great interview on that. Our system's called Smart Plant, and it incorporates all of that remote monitoring and tracking and is, is getting into the uh, predictive space, you know, uh, predictive, you know, preventative type maintenance um, that can be performed. And it, there's a, certainly applications where it would pay for itself day one, um, like that remote uh, 
example. I mean, this has been like the short Coles note version of very large dust collection systems, design challenges, implementation challenges, some considerations for future ideas and thoughts. Any any last thing you want to leave the the audience off with today, Tristan? Sure. Yeah, I would I would say one more consideration. You know, here we are sitting in the uh, first quarter of 2022. That's on the forefront of everyone's mind is just the global supply chain issues and struggles we're running into. And, and choosing a partner that's able to, you know, tackle those uh, challenges and hurdles as, as best they can. I know everyone's kind of at an even fight when it comes to, you know, unprecedented global activities like we've seen. But um, choosing the right partner that's willing to break down those barriers with you through some outside the box thinking, creative warehousing, creative partnering, you know, with industry uh, leaders that could certainly help bring a any, any size bag house, but especially a large greenfield bag house, help bring that project online, on time and on budget. It is probably worth mentioning because you mentioned sort of where, where we're at. So I, I assume I can't come to you and say, hey, I'd like to start building a new system, you know, in, in a month or six months or probably even a year from now. Like how, how long should people be reaching out to find those partners on new projects? Um, it, it, it depends a bit on the size of the project. Our, I wouldn't say it's too late in some of those examples you gave. I mean, our uh, typical EPC project where someone comes to us with a, an opportunity or a problem, and we're going to solve that, you know, design, design a solution, fabricate um, the equipment, ship it, install it, maybe put in foundations. That duration um, could be as short as, you know, five or six months. Maybe, maybe less for a small system. So it, it, there's certainly things that can be done. In, the, in today's environment, there's you know, backlogs and the, the fabrication market and the steel market and, and all sorts of raw materials. But knowing that you have a project coming up, obviously this, the sooner you, um, we hear about it, the better. But, uh, we also have a, a staff of very well-rounded engineers and designers that you know, they have the experience that you know, maybe in, in normal times, we would solve a, a particular problem in this this fashion. But we know that well, there, there may be a, another, out, you know, I said outside the box thinking earlier, but there might be a different way to skin the cat, if you will. In terms of electrical design, I'm thinking especially controls and automation. We run into a lot of roadblocks on availability of parts. You know, we're, we're even uh, working with some global suppliers to you know, kind of short circuit the supply chain, but just knowing what vendors there are and what the global stock levels are, uh, the parts we'll need could certainly help. You know, we may be able to come up with a solution to get our clients up and operating sooner. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think that's probably it for today's episode. Really interesting topic. Again, something we haven't covered near as we covered a lot of dust collection system stuff, but for some reason, never really talked about large systems, about new systems. It's much more the the things not working and how do we fix it. Um, so I do appreciate this more proactive discussion about how do we design it right from the start, bring in your expertise from IEC and the, and the team that you you have there. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and look for a chance to get you on in the future and also look for a chance to bring Joe on to talk about the um, smart dust collection systems as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. We'll talk soon, Tristan. Will do. 
So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Tristan Trepka, and we've been talking about designing and installing dust collection systems for greenfield applications. Tristan is the Vice President of Engineering at IEC. They're based out of Mission, Kansas. They have a ton of experience around engineering and EPC work in terms of designing, installing, project management, fabricating, all the way through to you know troubleshooting problems and getting things installed at your facility. It's been a really interesting topic, kind of eye-opening for me to, to learn about these really large systems, how they might be installed, the processes that should be followed. We talked about when you want to start planning as early as possible. We talked about the difference between process bag houses and, and nuisance bag houses and some different considerations there. We talked about some of the challenges that typically come up, things like space planning, where the exhaust stack should go, ductwork, maintenance access came up a couple of times, even when you're future planning. Uh, making sure you have the correct access routes, the correct access modes of transport. We talked about really low, tall ladders. You know, you're going to not have that that area inspected as much. A lot of those considerations should really come up very early in the system design so that you can have an effective solution that's safe, that's easy to maintain over time, that's you know, not cost prohibitive to maintain as well. We talked about some of the considerations in terms of building and installation, logistics, logistics and logistics, I think I heard Tristan say, how to get the parts there, whether or not you can fabricate them at a facility off-site and ship them in um, different modes of, of transport, including barges and rail through to you know standard road transport, um, all kind of come into play. Uh, and more recently, it's probably always been a, a challenge in terms of parts and, uh, and equipment and supply chain that certainly... Um, turning out to be a big crunch where we're at today in Q1 2022. So that's something else to keep in mind. So I do thank Tristan for coming on. Um, I appreciate the work that he's doing with IAC and the work that they've done making facilities safer with their operations, also more effective, more profitable with the work that they're doing as well. A profitable facility that's running effectively is more likely to be safe at the end of the day. And we appreciate the work that they do. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in trees handling combustible dust, uh, making them safer with the work you're doing around the world every day. 